This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Light the fuse. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult to be a walk in the park for you. Uh, it's all got to do with the rabbit's foot. Please don't make me go through you. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny, and he has made you his mission. Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. And you really think we can do this? We're going to do it. Welcome, 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 boys and girls, to Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. I am Drew Taylor, joined by Charles Hood. We are your ringleaders for the circus of Mission Impossible. Charles, how you feeling? I feel awesome. I, we're just, I feel like we're on a roll. we got great guests every week. It's just been a blast. It has been a blast. It's been a blast doing it with you, you know? Yes. It's always a joy to sit across from you virtually over Zoom. And uh, and do this show. Truly a thrill. Um, and we are really <laughs> thrilled to bring back one of our favorite guests from the old show. Charles, did you look look into when the last time we spoke to James was? Yes. Uh, we spoke to James Mather about a year ago. We talked to him in okay. Jan- January 2023 about Top Gun Maverick. And then after we spoke to him, the man won an Oscar for his work on the movie. Just saying. Which we did not congrat we did not congratulate him at all in this interview. Yeah, we didn't congratulate him. I mean we we sent him an email at the time. Look, we, That's we did true. we did That's our true. part. Okay. That's true. He can back off as far as I'm concerned. That's true. I think we also <laughs> need to set up what we're talking about with him initially, which is our dogs yes. being in the movie. Well we should say well James Mather also we should say is a uh, uh sound genius. I mean what what is exact is we're credit? Is he, is he a re recording mixer? Is that what it is? Yeah, and then uh, 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 sound designer as well, maybe. Um, yeah, it's it sound is. A, I mean, it is a huge part of filmmaking. It's ha- like half of the movie, and people don't really give it enough credit for how much goes into this. He's a supervising sound editor on Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One, and yeah, it's a lot uh, doing the work. Uh, you know, creating those. I mean, there's so a lot of times there's not a lot of usable sound from production from from the set. And you got to create a whole soundscape, so it's a it's a really it's a big job, especially in England when you record things and there's somebody going, "Oi, what's all this?" <laughs> there's a lot of audio cleanup of of guys yeah, in the background going, "Oi," yeah. you know. There's a lot of Oi, wh- you know, <laughs> that, yeah. When's tea time? You know, you got to really there's a lot bring of like that, soccer hooligans out. walking by the yes, set that yes. you have to remove yeah. that sound in the background and and then put yeah. like a good background sound track back in there you know yeah. so it's very important and 
he very deservedly won the Oscar for Top Gun Maverick, which obviously we talked to him last year, and it's a great episode. You can check that out uh, on our website, lightthefusepodcast.com. In the episode guide, you can see all of our old episodes from the old show, uh, and you can find our original chat with James. But uh, that was Top Gun Maverick. This is Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. And yes, I'm sorry, context about the dogs. I, I'm sorry, Drew, I cut you off on that. We got, we got to talk about the dogs. It's fine, it's fine. I'm glad you gave that that ramp up because basically we had started, I don't know if pressure is the right word, but <laughs> we were trying to get our dogs into uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. They were in there for a bit. They might still be in there in the midst of the train calamities, but... Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that they were taken out. They were too distracting. So we really get on his case about it in this uh, <laughs> opening. That was a secret mission we had going for a while. I don't think we yes. said it in the episode last time that we spoke with him. But afterwards, it came up in our conversation uh, on email. And then we, I, I, I spent some good time getting a really good recording of my dog, Rusty, howling. I don't know about you, but uh, I put a lot of effort into it. I wanted to make it real, really sound good. Yeah, I mean, I went through several takes with uh, my dog. I said, Can, "Do it better, do it better," <laughs> and she finally did. So, but it wasn't good enough. You were reaching like Kubrick levels of perfectionism with Nova. Yes, you know, just driving her to insanity to make sure to get that take the best that it can be. Yeah, but ultimately, it wasn't good enough. And but hopefully, maybe in movie eight, they will be there. There are dogs yes. there, as you bring up. We met a dog on set. I think we can say that. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's get the dogs in the next one. So yeah, let's keep up the pressure, or whatever that word is. That it wasn't pressure. Maybe it was whatever word is beyond pressure in, into uh, like a step into annoying. Maybe intimidation's good too. Yeah, we intimidated, yeah. pressured, cajoled, annoyed, bribed. Cajoled. Yeah, yeah. Bri bribed is a good one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we got to get the dogs in there. Uh, anyway, yeah. Look. You don't want to hear from us anymore, I'm sure. We've been babbling on long enough. Well, can I add one more thing, Charles? Of course. I just want to say that if you want to hear James's amazing work, you can buy or rent Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning uh, across digital platforms, and you can also pick it up in DVD, Blu-ray, or 4K Ultra HD format, which you and I, Charles, have the 4K, and, and we love it. Yes. Um, Crank up the sound crank up that sound and you can also watch the first six movies that are streaming right now on paramount plus so james worked on rogue nation and fallout as well right yes okay so you can hear all of his amazing work but yeah yeah we talked about that with him last time and, and we talked about top gun maverick this time it's all dead reckoning baby there we go let's get into it Well, James, it's so so great to have you on. I think we really first need to get into why the dogs did not make the movie, and no. if, if, if they will be if they will be represented in part eight. I mean, that's really what we're we're really uh, interested in. So the dog story: they came on, they barked, they then got hit by the car as Ethan got done in the alleyway and. They never returned. They were part of a wreckage that happened off screen. And um, was wait, was that a scene that was that, was that the scene that didn't make the movie that they reshot? Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay, so that was that was uh, the, it was like originally how Ethan got the uh, the mission, right? And then they That's right. That. Okay, so yeah. uh, so we were a casualty of being a deleted scene or a re- reshot scene. You were in there, man. You were the cause of the yeah, you were the cause of a car crash. It was a big deal. Oh. <laughs> so sorry. So I had it in the background. I had it in the background when the guy comes in with the delivery bag. Okay. Oh. Uh, yeah, I thought sweet spot. No. Just quiet. Then I had it on the. T- I mean, there is, there are, there are a few elements, but you'd never hear them. I could strip. I could do a special segue where they where they where they're undoing, uncoupling the carriages, and yes. they're twisting the thing, and it goes. And there's. I could do you a reduction until you just got the dog sound, which is the weirdest sound. Yo, my my dog Rusty has that howl. I remember you said that you yeah. try to use it for part of the train screeching or something. I really did. <laughs> and now I've got McHugh in my case saying, well, why don't you put my dogs in there? I've got fun, funky sounding dogs. And I'm like, hey, the more dogs, the merrier. That's right. <laughs> I said, if you shoot a scene where there's dogs, we'll get them in, McHugh. I promise you. But um, I have them still. So, you know, there's always the next installation. Okay. They haven't been forgotten. Okay. They haven't been forgotten. They just, like everything in these movies, they have to find their place. That's right. We saw some dogs on Instagram uh, on set of eight for maybe, I don't know if they were sled dogs or something. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what it was, yeah. but we saw from some of the actors' Instagrams. So, hey, hopefully those dogs are in the movie. And if they are, who boy, we're going to be real excited. Yeah, they'll be the strangest sounding huskies ever filmed. <laughs> my, my, my dog is 53% husky. Oh, okay. They'll be perfect. He's got the husky howl. Perfect. David Attenborough won't be able to tell the difference. <laughs> People really who are tuning in for the Mission Impossible podcast are absolutely riveted. <laughs> sorry everybody sorry we've gone down a rabbit hole we're gonna just do a full hour on the dogs (laughs) yes yes. (laughs) well they'll hear them one day and then they'll understand they'll understand understand. yeah i mean from a from a sound perspective obviously mission impossible dead reckoning has everything i mean where where do you start on something of this scale oh one step at a time it was an i mean it, it the project was ex- incredible. It was exceptional because obviously all the restrictions that were had due to COVID and everyone's talked about that and everyone's talked about the fact that it went on over a period of much longer than anybody expected it to. And so there were a couple of scenes that were done early days. Um, the the chase in Rome, car chase in Rome was a really early, that was some of the first stuff they shot. And so we had that for quite a long time and we played a lot with it. And um, we got it into a state where that reel was kind of CinemaCon ready to show at the, at the event, and it sat pretty like that for most of the most of the duration of the gestation of the film. And then, and then the storm scene was came in, and that was really exciting because it was a completely different palette of sounds. I mean, we always knew the opening was going to be very quiet, and very singular, and sort of uh, detailed and specific, uh, and then into, and then it turns into you know this extraordinary elemental thing, which which when we discussed it, you know, I remembered seeing, being really blown away by the opening scene in Close Encounters when they all rock up to the desert and there's that storm and they find that old planes from the war that hadn't been seen. And that storm, I, I watched it again and it was still really, really, it's so beautifully done. And that was a, that was a really strong inspiration for that desert storm. And that was a longer scene. The train just 
kept growing and growing and growing throughout the whole process. There were so many elements, there so many layers to the onion, uh, you know, that I had a, a faulty soundbar, which I recorded one evening way early on because the sound was weird, digital glitching kind of, it was clearly something trying to get through, but it wasn't, it was being so distorted, you couldn't make out what it was. And I recorded that with my phone at the time just to, you know, see if it, one day it might come in handy. And that was probably one of the last sounds we actually embedded into the soundtrack because the the, the general vibe was that the entity was such a strong character that it, it kind of needed its own signature that wasn't necessarily a music theme. I mean, the one thing about this movie, there's a lot of characters in it. There's The cast is really, is really broad. So, you know, adding another musical theme to that wasn't necessarily the way to go. And this entity sound that came up, another whole level, another whole strata of of sound design and, and expression and storytelling. So it just, it just, I think when something goes on for longer than usual, you just have more time to consider and to, and to craft. And there was so much craft in that movie. I mean, I, I rarely get the opportunity to dive in with the filmmakers and with the other departments, you know, the guys that do the construction and the, and the DOPs and, we were talking at one point about the carriage when Grace and Ethan are clambering up and they're pulling their way up and it's quite late in that incredible scene. And I was like, you know, the construction guy was like, you know, we built a whole carriage. You know, we had carriages properly constructed and we were hanging it and the chunky, the camera op was hanging down on a harness upside down, filming close up with... Um, Ethan and Grace, so they got the vein popping and sweat, and there's a sound recordist in there getting the dust. And I suddenly realised, well, suddenly it dawned on me that the the expanse of work that goes into these movies, from that point all the way through to a, a foot squashing a lemon in the in the chase through the kitchen, in the scramble through the kitchen, right? It's intense, really intense. <laughs> Yeah. And actually our our job ended up being much more about taking away or redefining. So the storm scene reduced from like nine minutes down to four. And by the time we got to four minutes, all the sounds that were in that scene had a different energy flow. So the description that they started off doing needed to be more succinct and tighter. Same sounds in many places, but they needed to have that very abbreviated texture and quality to them so we kind of rebuilt that very late on but we knew what the ingredients were and actually the scene in the tunnel when they're on on the roof of the train and they're fighting we i wanted that to be the most claustrophobic and uncomfortable ambience that we could make it and it was through creating that that the storm got more of its identity because the storm now had this had to have a similar sense of jeopardy and intensity so quite often when you're doing a production, you kind of get through something onto the next, onto the next, to the end, and then you're done and it's finished. Whereas this, we could kind of do something and then go, oh, let's do that there as well. Let's go back. I mean, we sat with McHugh for a couple of days and worked the storm scene very late on, as we did with the entity. And it was um, it was a luxury. It was really, and it was necessary because, like you said, there's a lot going on. We'll be back with more from James Mather after the break.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I mean, with the entity, especially in that opening scene when you don't really, you're not really sure what it is, you have to come up with a sound that is that conveys menace, yeah. right? Without any, without any kind of exposition of what it actually is. So I was wondering specifically for that, you know, submarine sequence, how you went about designing that and how that entity sound kind of factored in. The first scene where the entity took its took its place in the movie was at the nightclub because the feeling was that if Ethan is responding to something that is apparently visual and the lights are doing their crazy things, but there needed to be something else that was sparking it. So that is where the entity landed and, and became unacceptable and approved and kind of, yeah, that's cool. That That's going to work. And, and then it kind of proliferated throughout the soundtrack and we, you know, the McHugh said, ah, why don't we have it? Let's have it so that we get to a tingle of the entity at the beginning so that the audience may not even recognize it. But as it grows throughout, the audience realizes that there is a continuity and a thread of storyline with that one sound. And obviously those that have seen the movie and stayed right through to the end will have had that little Easter egg of entity sound at the very, very last sound of the end roller. (laughs) And it's like, there's a great film called Them, 1950s, about ants that get nucleared and, and turn into giant ants. And they had this incredible sound that they used that was this kind of um, serrating, really intimidating sound. Very simple, very, very simple. And it spurred a kind of reaction of, of fear and, and, and panic. And this, for me, this entity sound was a bit like the modern version of that. When, when you're sitting at home, and your technology goes wrong. Well, sometimes you can have it on a on a call on your phone. The, the sound is like, where's that coming from? It's kind of going through some weird, I would like to say algorithm. I'd like to say entity. Who knows what it is? But when your digital gear goes wrong, you get weirdness that you think, I no, don't, it's not working. Shit, I can't, can't. And it's kind of a modern day frustration for people. It's like, you know, you hear the sound coming through your telly and you know something's wrong, you're not going to be able to hear. And, it, and people have an aversion to things not working properly. It's that kind of, we spend a lot of money on gadgets and if they don't work properly, it, it creates a frustration. And that along with the frequency range that it was hitting, which hurts your ears if you listen to it really closely. You know, it's a, it's a, it's not warm, it's not low frequency, it's not, it's, it's getting into your, getting into your head. So it seemed 
very it, it was a complete fluke you know this sound wasn't i'd love to say that i spent hours and nights thinking about it and it was just an it, an emotive sound that seemed absolutely right to put forward as an option and and you know the music was getting a lot of attention and, and it was taking shape in a beautiful way and, and that seemed to be counter the music so McHugh felt that worked really well and, and it was we then had to do a lot of work to try and make it an effect that we could manipulate and manufacture so that we could treat Benji's voice when they're running through the streets in Venice huh. to emphasize that the entity is now taking over from Benji's instructions it took a, it took a while you know it was a lot of oscillation and um, various EQ sweeps and stuff to try and manipulate it. But I think the guys did a terrific, the sound design team did a great job in getting it to work. And now we have to use it all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's very creepy. Yeah. You mentioned it quickly, and, and we've heard McCory tell the story, but I wanted to hear the full story from you. What was the stereo that was glitching, and what were you listening? Was it a song or something? that? No. T- tell the story of how you got found the entity sound. I got a phone call. Uh, so my daughter phoned me up and said, Dad, Dad, the TV's broken. I can't hear anything. It's rubbish. You know. <laughs> so I take that. Okay, I'll, I'll have a look when I get home. I get home, I put the sound bar on, and I play the telly, and it is the entity sound, and it's like, oh, that's, that's really annoying. I have no idea what that is. And this is this is an HDMI cable coming out of the telly into the bar, so it should be it's digital. Had you started on the movie at this point, or was this like long before the movie even? Happened? This was at the very beginning. This is early okay. doors. Yeah, we started, but obviously we started, stop, started, stop because of right, the, right. the COVID. So it's twenty twenty, I think I recorded it, and uh, I thought, well, I know, well, I'll record it, but I should record if I'm going to record it for the movie because it's the movie that it's going to get used in. If anything, I'll play back. Rogue Nation. I'll just play the opening titles of Rogue Nation and record that. So I did that music. Great. Oh, it's good with music. And I thought I should get some dialogue just to see how it responds with dialogue. Did that from Rogue Nation. I think I used the scene. I had a a collection of scenes for reference and I used the bike chase in uh, not Rogue Nation. Fallout? Fallout. Thank you. And so I tried different scenes and just recorded them because I thought, well, if I'm going to use them, in a Mission Impossible movie, I kind of need to see use something that I can, you know, I can use. It's owned by the uh, franchise. But I hadn't, there was no, there was no obvious visual reference that it would tie itself to uh, until much later on. Um, and the entity was, it had many iterations before it settled on what it finally became. And it was only then it became... It was the sort of circular, you know, visual effect uh, uh, on the computers, but it was also the light booms in the nightclub. And that was like throwing that in gave us a distortion, which we didn't have to play a sound through anything to get that distortion. We could just put the entity on top and it gave that impression. It's funny, you know, serendipity and and pure luck and i always think that when you're being creative i always think that when you're on a project that's going to be involved and complicated and have many aspects to it things crop up and you've got to be open to it you've got to you've got to kind of it's always really important to 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 be open to the creativity around you and the things that happen around you and seize that moment whether you know what it's for or not but to have that 
um, flexibility and open-mindedness and not trying but you can't always control everything sometimes things come to you and you just say thank you i'll take that i don't know what i'll do with it but did, did your kid ever walk in the room uh and and, I, and yeah like, i uh, fixed are, it are you, are you gonna fix this thing or what <laughs> no i had to fix it obviously after that after I, <laughs> I did i fixed it and i've never it's never done it again so okay. i'm so glad i recorded it because i it's never done it again so you recorded that in 2020 when did it make its way onto the the fourth week before print master so when did we wow. finish this year? yeah so like this year it was the, it was 2023 yeah, this when year. i made it in wow yeah it was a really late edition and it was like i said it's one of those things you just know it's there you don't know what it's for it's like when you go traveling and you find a spice that you've never tasted before or you find something you it sounds like those things that you go that's weird that's a crazy sound the washing machine's broken it's lost a nut and the the, the drum is slamming the side and it's this it really and you think well that's like something out of mad max that's crazy you record it <laughs> you record it before you fix it wow <laughs> Yeah, we were lucky with that. Expanding more on, like the, the Drew mentioned, the submarine. Um, you know, submarines are a fun opportunity to do. You know, sounds. Were there inspirations for for that for you, or 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 any fun Easter eggs of nods to other submarine movies or anything you were throwing in there? Oh, I'm sure there are. I'm sure. I'm sure McHugh had a whole gamut of them. There was. <laughs> there was. Um, what was really interesting with that was the the language of sonar and, you know, going, talking to the experts, the military experts who knew what the sonars were that were being introduced throughout while the whole cat and mouse were going on. And again, visual effects really kind of brought that to life. And we, we tried to tell a story using classic sonar sounds, but it's, they're quite simple, you know, and they have a, there's a decay and then there's a beep and then there's a respond and a de- and sometimes the simplicity of it is terrific but it's not very exciting so we spent a lot of time trying to create multiple different sonars doing different things to emphasize whether it's scanning it and seeing it as a blob blob as opposed to beep beep and as much as it was very helpful it just got a little bit busy and a little bit cluttered so when this when the when it goes into silent mode, you don't realize that you've had this very heavy atmosphere within the submarine itself, and then that kind of the motor hum and everything that you feel rather than hear all drops, and you go, "Oh wow, okay, it's." Re-. And then then the sonars can have a little bit more dynamic space to play. And as the visual effects came in, we realized we only really need to hear what we see. It, they don't need to keep going on afterwards like if we go to one of the other characters talking we don't necessarily need to hear it unless it's relative to what's about to happen so the three-dimensional story that was being played out with the characters and the, and the on-screen action was very subtly enhanced with the kind of reality of the sounds and then the build-up it was. It's quite interesting, you know. You start the build up of the missile going to hit the submarine, and and you kind of go, well, it's getting closer, it's getting closer. So logistically, the ping and the repeat get closer and closer together, and faster and faster because that's. And we tried that, and it's like, yeah, it's kind of, it's just 
a faster ping. It's just, uh, and then one of the guys said, "Well, I'm going to, I'm just going to do a, an ascending rise. I'm not going to change the speed of the beeps, but I'm just going to make it go higher and higher and higher." And it's something we played with on Top Gun with the Shepherds. Higher in volume or higher in pitch or in pitch. Yeah, it's ascending in pitch. In pitch, okay. And increasing in volume a little bit as well. But the main thing was that it was like an like a shepherd's tone. It was kind of building up in, and that building up in pitch heightens your your nervous system. Your your your. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's sympathetic or parasympathetic, but I don't know. But you, the rise in pitch makes you feel more anxious, and so. That really helped tell the story without getting faster and faster and becoming a bit like, Ugh. and there were moments like that throughout the whole submarine until it really gets, I mean, it was like start tiny, 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 and then just let it become this massive, you know, you want to feel the groans and the, and the, and the weight of that. There's something about the vulnerability of a submarine when you realize it's, it's doomed and it's, there's nothing you can do. It's terrifying. It's buried alive. You know, it's all the things that we fear. And it, and, it, and this thing is just plummeting down. So we had a lot of fun. Uh, very, again, very much towards the latter stage of the dub when the visuals were in and the pacing felt like it was now at a point where it was just, I mean, Eddie talks about, you know, every frame has to be, you know, just considered and justified. And so that has a knock on to us. Um, so we have to go through that same meticulous timing process, timing, pitch, frequency, dynamic, you know. We'll be back with more from sound genius, James Mather, after the break. Rise and shine, football fans. Start your day the right way with Morning Footy, a podcast that covers every aspect of the global game. Headlines, match previews, analysis, interviews, culture, fashion, and plenty of banter. Join as we track the thrills and spills of Europe's biggest title races, the business end of the Champions League season, a summer packed with international competitions, MLS, NWSL, and much more. Subscribe to Morning Footy. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. The other amazing thing about how much this movie is how much dialogue there is. And I imagine something like the community sequence requires just as much planning and craftsmanship and everything. So I was wondering, you know, how you figure something like that out. Is it just as as complicated as a submarine sequence? Sorry, say which scene were you talking about? The the community, all of the agents in the room. Yes. Uh, okay. Yes. Okay. Please, please talk about that. <laughs> uh, that's where Eddie's editing comes into its own in an incredible way. You've got this, you, it's like if it was a monologue, you'd be following it word for word. You'd be invested in it. But when you have other people starting to 
interact and the dialogue moves swiftly from one to the other and it's and it's all essential information it's all you know it's it's like the airport scene is no dialogue but it's you're following it all the way through as though it were it's kind of action being dialogue and then when you've got the scenes with the with the interaction with everybody discussing what they're going to be doing the emotional tilt of concern that all the characters strengths and weaknesses come out in their vulnerability their insistence the performances are are so strong and so convincing that their interactions are so well honed. I mean, there are so many moments in the movie where dialogue isn't necessary, but when it's added, it's just sublime. It's. It, I remember there were some lines when they, when Grace and Ethan are in the Fiat Five Hundred. I think it's one of the most classic, funny, action driven their relationship the humor between them the way they and the, and we and lines were being added that had been there but now the cut kind of it was hard to keep them in their entirety because the cut was so fast so they'd be sliding around a corner and you'd have a line from grace that that just kept that emphasis of humor uh and all the way through the the the, the movie there's there's just a beautiful lightness of delivery that the characters have and it makes it's it's snappy. It's it's great dialogue, and it's snappy, and it and it, and you it's it's to the point. You don't get bored of what's being discussed, how it's how long it's taking to get the point across, and that's where Eddie and the Q really. I think they they you know it's a fabulous editor. I can't say enough of, of that. You know his action scenes are extraordinary, but so too are those moments of tender drama, those moments of just it's it, let's just sit with these guys and listen to what I have to say. Let's see who they are at this stage in the arc of the film of where they're going. And um, I think it's beguiling. I really do. It, it's all part of the dance that these movies take where you feel you are having the breath taken out of your lungs. And then you're brought back into a tender moment where you can smile and enjoy that respite, and then you've got a huge emotional score from an incredibly emotional moment where, you know, there's a death that you wouldn't expect. And then you're back to this. It's it's just beautiful shape-shifting all the time. And so you're given this opportunity to to not feel like you're on a straight road. You're, you're on a roller coaster. And it's, uh, it's for us, it's a, a joy because we can explore and, expand and contract all the elements of sound that we want to. Uh, you know, you've got the dialogue scenes and there's nothing. There's just room tone. There's no distraction of planes going by. There's no bikes going by. They're in Venice. There's only boats. They don't make much of a noise. You know, that's one of the scenes where you just think, well, what about pigeons? What are they? And it's like, why? Listen to the dialogue. Listen to what they're saying. The story's being told for you in a way that you should be able to just enjoy that. back we're back i would love james mather to add some fun sound effects to 
this show. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Yeah, we got to bug him about uh, you know get, you know hitting up the sound effects library just to get add some spice. Do you want it to be like a like a morning zoo type radio show with like all kinds of crazy sounds? Is that what you're hoping for? I'm, I'm thinking more like a mist like an old timey radio program. Oh, that would like be I'll good. be like Charles, I'll be right back, and then you hear the like of the door opening, <laughs> you know. That kind of stuff. I think that would be fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Let's do that. I'm. I'm all for a, a an old timey radio play. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it, look. This is only part one. We got. We got James coming back next week. Uh, there's more amazing stuff. It was really great to hear him talk about the entity and hearing that story from him of how that sound effect came about and, and yeah, that journey because it was like three years before it actually showed up in the actual movie. Yeah, it was fun because we said, you know, we talked to other people and they said, oh, it's the sound guys malfunctioning, whatever. And we said, oh, my God, that must be James's <laughs> sound bar that was malfunctioning. So, yeah, it was really great to hear him tell that story. And also, yeah, you're right. It's amazing that it came in so late. Yeah. I don't think we talked about it here, but I'm, I'm sure we have in, in previous episodes that that was a note from Edgar Wright. When he watched the movie, he told McCory that uh, the the just a music cue wasn't enough for the entity that it would it would really that his suggestion was to add you know some kind of sound effect to indicate the entity is there, and the, it really is, is, works really well. It's so cool that sound. Yeah. What else, Charles? Uh, I don't really have anything else. I just you know, I just again just emphasizing. I mean, as you said actually in the interview, that the scale of the work on this movie, like there's so many different environments. It's just amazing work to to be doing that. You know, there's desert sandstorm and submarine underwater and all kinds of fun things, different cities. And I like, I like the moment when like at the end when Kittredge's narration is happening and, and Ethan's sort of like gliding through on the parachute. Just like really some really wonderful sound moments in this movie. And just appreciate I'm just here to appreciate James's work. Uh, as we do. And uh, I'm excited for everyone to hear part two. Yes, absolutely. We love highlighting these folks who contribute to these movies in such a big way, but maybe don't get the attention that they deserve. So, James, we got you. We got your back. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, before we sign off, Charles, you know I got some some stuff to take care of yeah. here. Important things that I want to hear. Yeah, you've never heard this before, but never. I want to remind everybody that there are new episodes of Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, appearing every Tuesday, available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, follow us on social media, Light the Fuse pod, on whatever social media platform you are using. And if you could like, subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you're listening, that would be a big help to us too. You know, we uh, we need more people to listen. So tell people, tell your friends, tell your coworkers. Yes. Your family. Follow us on social media, wherever you do your social media. Yeah. Just and do spread it. the word. Spread it. Just do it. And forget about it. You know, once you tell one person, then that's on them to tell another. It's like the ring. You know what I mean? You got to tell that one person and then they've got to do take care of it. So Our show is just like the ring. You know, it's, it's just like, a curse that's just infecting uh, the, the population. Yep. Yes, yep. correct. Um, and yeah, we'll be back next week with James Mather Part 2, which we're really excited to share with you guys. So come on back. Oh. 
Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, is produced by Charles Hood. That's me and Drew Taylor. Our supervising producer is Abby Smith. This episode was edited by Luke Burson with music by Kevin Blumenfeld. Original Mission Impossible themes by Lalo Schifrin. This podcast is a production of Paramount Pictures. All rights are reserved. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. 